Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh. Yeah. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into GC Live Afternoon Drive. Got some disappointing news. Unfortunately, Alyssa Lang will not be joining us as originally scheduled, but that's all right. The show still goes on. Alyssa will be on the call this weekend as South Carolina returns williams Bryce Stadium to take on Florida. All right, let's get into it as we do every week. We're going to get into the keys of the game. If you have any thoughts, let us know. Let us know what you think. We'll talk about this game. See Dylan talking about flipping season. We will get into... What's been going on in the recruiting trail? Because if you've been following since Tuesday and even before that, because we've kind of hinted at it, not just myself, but my colleagues, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, we've been hitting on it on Gamecock Central that there's been a lot of things to keep an eye on. And one of those things is defensive back Jay Lewis Solomon, listed as an athlete, but South Carolina, Torian Gray, they've been going after him hard for a defensive back spot with the Gamecocks. He decommitted from Auburn on Tuesday. And we have some information as far as what could be next for him. So we'll get into that as well today. And anything else you want to get into as we do every Thursday on GC Live Afternoon Drive. So with that all being said, let's get into the keys for this weekend. I think first and foremost, when we look at this matchup against Florida, here's a Florida team that has been struggling on the road. Now, obviously, their two road losses have been against teams who right now are in the top 25, Kentucky and Utah. So it's not like they're playing TikTok tech in some of these road losses. But at the same time, too, they've looked like a, a completely different team on the road. Having said all of that, when you look back to what South Carolina has done in the Shane Beamer era, coming off bye weeks, right? You look back to last year against Texas A&M. You look back to Florida two years ago. Both of those games took place at Williams-Brice, which obviously this game this weekend will be at home. But USC was able to score the first time that they touched the ball on those opening series. Last year against AM, it was a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Xavier Leggett. Two years ago against Florida, it was a field goal. The point being is USC has been able to take advantage of coming out and not showing that rust. And that's why today, if you... Follow Gamecock Center. You're a subscriber. You read Quick Slants. That's why I, I titled it Rest or Rust. Because with this South Carolina team coming out of the bye week, are they going to come out clicking? Are they going to be able to play fast? Or are they going to look like a team that hasn't played a game in a week, in two weeks, right? and they just look sluggish because that happens with some teams. That hasn't been the case so far during the Shane Beamer era, but at the same time, too, it's a new year. Things change, and you certainly hope that's not one of those things that go in the opposite direction. So being able to take advantage of getting up early, 
Right. Another thing too, playing off of that, South Carolina has never trailed in a game coming out of a bye week. They didn't trail against Texas A&M. They didn't trail against Florida two years ago. Now they were ties in some of those games, but they have not trailed. So I bring this up because for a Florida team that has been struggling on the road, if you're able to not only get out on them, uh, on top of them early, I really think that the crowd can play a factor in this game as well. Give the crowd a reason, right? It's been sold out for weeks. Give this crowd a reason to be able to help you to be able to take Florida out of this game. Because if Florida falls down early in this contest, I think this is a game that South Carolina can run away with. I really do. But it starts with being able to get a quick quick start, being able to get things clicking, to be able to give your fan base a reason to get behind you early in this contest. So start fast at number one. Number two for keys of the week on quick slants. Third down stops. Florida is one of the worst teams in the country when it comes to third down conversions. They're actually rated 25th worst in FBS heading into this game. Having said that, on the flip side, USC's defense on third down hasn't been that great. It's been around that same area. Maybe a little bit better in comparison to Florida's third down offense. The point being is you need to do what you can to be able to get off the field on third down. South Carolina has struggled when you look at the whole picture through the first five games of the season. Some of that has to do with uh, explosive plays. Some of that has to do with the fact that South Carolina has struggled to really be able to put teams behind the sticks early. I mean, you look at those two things in particular, we talk about explosive plays, and it's not just in the secondary. Obviously, it's going to be more evident. Clayton White talked about it yesterday when I was asking him about explosive plays and trying to limit that. I mean, that goes back to, shoot, just being able to wrap up, right? Quarterback scrambles out to the outside. Instead of giving him two yards, he gets 10. He gets 12. He gets sometimes even 25 yards, right? I mentioned the the little plays because we want to talk about explosives, you know, 20-plus yards. But I mentioned the eight, 10-yard pickups because that is one of those things that changes how you approach how you approach how you're going to play uh, a down. Because if Florida, I'm going to use Florida for example, Florida is behind the sticks on second down, right? Second and 12 in comparison to second and two, that changes everything. That changes what the Gators will probably run, right? That changes what you're going to run from a defensive standpoint. So being able to get Florida behind the sticks, being able to finish, right? Whether it be sacks, whether it just be uh, plays, at the line of scrimmage, you're only allowing a yard or two. That's going to help you in terms of being able to set you up in a situation where it's more manageable from a defensive standpoint on third down. We talk about manageable from an offensive standpoint a lot, but defensively, you want to do what you can to be able to make sure that Florida is not in those manageable situations. And then obviously, too, being able to stop what you got to do from an explosive standpoint. And obviously, a lot of that will be shown in the secondary, but that also starts up front, doing your assignment, making sure that you're 
doing what you have to do. We've talked about it before as a defensive lineman. Sometimes you got to be the traffic cone. Sometimes you got to be the guy that takes on two blockers. You're not going to be the one that makes the tackle. Do your 111. Do what you got to do. And then trust the guys behind you in the secondary that they'll be able to do their jobs. Playing off from that, though, in terms of being able to get off the field, and we saw it a lot, obviously, in that Mississippi State game. This is, at least we're assuming, this will be the healthiest South Carolina's defense has been since week one. And I think that's a safe assumption to make. But on top of that, the younger guys, and not even just the younger guys, but guys who have not played as much, and you're trying to get them more reps, you're coming off that bye week. Guys like Pup Howard, we talked about linebackers a lot on Tuesday with Shane Beamer, but Pup Howard, Bam, I mean, these are guys that you're hoping can play a little bit more. So that, again, talking about specifically the linebacking core, a guy like Debo Williams doesn't have to play every freaking snap. Debo's on track right now to play over 750 snaps. 750 snaps. Thanks to my colleague, Colin Taylor, we talked about this on Tuesday. There was only 54, 52 linebackers in Division One last year that played that many snaps. So just to give you an idea of the absurd amount of snaps that Debo is playing and at the rate that he is on and how much he could play, and obviously some of that has to do with injuries early on in the year, right? But I, I bring this up because being able to get off the field on third downs, that helps you so much, so much. So again, this is a team, Florida, that have, sh- have struggled on third downs, but you got to do what you can to be able to get off the field on third down as well. Okay, um, and then number three, and it goes without saying, and we can keep saying this every friggin' week. Give Spencer Rattler time to do things right. Let him, let your playmaker make plays. You look at what South Carolina has done with their offensive line since week one. They've certainly made improvements. Okay, but at the same time, too, it hasn't been consistent. It's been a roller coaster. And unfortunately, the last taste that you have in your mouth is what we saw two weeks ago against Tennessee. Now, this isn't an excuse, but the Vols rank number one in the country when it comes to sacks. Okay? Number one in the country. The Florida team that you're playing this week, defensively, obviously they're not on the same page as Tennessee, but they also have really struggled to get after the quarterback. In fact, Florida ranks last in the SEC when it comes to the sacks. Again, having said all that, kind of just like we were talking about from a defensive standpoint, none of that matters unless you execute. So you have to execute this weekend, and you have to be able to make sure you give number seven some time. Because, again, Florida has really struggled. They've really struggled to to get after the quarterback. But, again – as we've seen in some of the games that South Carolina has had this year. I mean, shoot, North Carolina, they looked like the friggin' 85 Bears out there, for crying out loud. So you have to do everything you can to make sure you give Rattler time because if he's not able to get things going, this offense isn't going to go anywhere. And Mario Anderson, and I I see Mario comments here, you know, get Mario the ball more. I think we're going to start to see that more this week too. But if you're not able to get Rattler going, and no disrespect to Mario or any of the running backs, I don't think anyone 
has confidence, at least based on what we've seen, to believe that South Carolina can go out there and win games with just their rushing attack, right? So you got to be able to give Rattler time to allow him to make things happen. Let us know what you think. Seen some comments already. Let us know, and we'll uh, we'll weigh in on it again. Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network was going to be joining us today, but because of some last-minute changes with interviews that she has to do for the game this weekend, she will not be able to join us today. Alyssa will be on the call this weekend, return to Williams-Brice Stadium. She'll be on sideline duty. See what we got here. Montreal News says, I wonder what South Carolina's record with the fear is in town. Well, I said this to someone the other day. I remember two years ago, the Zeb Nolan game. And I said the Zeb Nolan game. It's not like it's the Michael Skarnackia game or the Eric Kimry game. Because there's obviously there were multiple games that Zeb played in that people could be like, wait a minute, which one's that? Or the Jason Brown game against Florida even two years ago. But I think about two years ago when South Carolina was playing Vanderbilt at home. And offensively, USC wasn't able to do anything that day. I mean, they really struggled to move the football, really struggled to move the football. And what happened? Well, they made a change. Zeb Nolan came in, and then Zeb led them down the field, and the Gamecocks were able to win. And the importance of that game is if USC doesn't win that game, they don't go to a bowl game. That season, Shane Beamer's first year. But I remember there was a gentleman sitting a couple rows behind me because at the time I was making the shift over from Watch Fox to Gamecock Central. I told West and Chris, I'm not going to take a credential away from an intern after joining GC midway through the year. That wouldn't be right. So for the majority of that season, I sat in the stands. And I just remember sitting a couple rows in front of a gentleman and he was so pissed off about the way USC was playing. This before Zeb came in. And he said, screw it. I'm going across the street to the state fair. I'm getting myself a corn dog. So every time I think about games when the state fair is going on and there's a home game, I think about that guy from two years ago. And I'm just wondering to myself, I wonder when he found out about South Carolina's win. I wonder when he found out about what Zeb Nolan was able to do. I wonder how good that corn dog was. But I don't know. I don't know the specific record on South Carolina uh, when the fear is in town, when they're playing at home. It's a good question. I'll look it up. It's one of those uh, dumb little stats, but maybe there's something to be said about it. I mean, a stat that we can throw out there that I do know about home games is that South Carolina is 14-2 and two in the Shane Beamer era. So I bring that up because at least since Shane has been head coach, knock on wood, but he hasn't lost the home game when the state fear is in town. I'll have to go back to the Muschamp era. I've been here since 2016, so I covered the beginning of the Muschamp era, and I've covered um, the first two and a half seasons of the Shane Beamer era. I have to go back and think about losses during the Muschamp era during when the fair was in town. It's an interesting one. Uh, going to Mario, though, Mario Anderson. It's been really neat to see his growth. We talked about it a lot at the beginning of the year, 
and I'm sure there was some frustration from fans in regards to, okay, why aren't we seeing Mario more? Why is it Mario getting more touches? And we kept going back to some of the things that Mario said during press conferences, and I'm sure some people was like, okay, yeah, he's saying that, but just give him the ball. Well, the growth from Mario has been tremendous. And while South Carolina really struggled to run the football against Tennessee, and I brought this up last last week during the bye week, that their rushing total against the Vols was misleading. And the reason I say that is because when you look at what South Carolina was able to do from a team standpoint, they were able to run the football for 132 yards. That sounds great, but 75 of those yards came on one carry. And that was Mario Anderson's touchdown in the third quarter at the beginning when USC got the ball. So I bring that up because Mario has found a way to be a spark for USC, certainly. But as a whole, the Russian attack needs to be more consistent. And I say that based on the last couple games. I'm not just saying that um, in terms of the entire season, because that's real easy to look at the entire season and say, okay, yeah, they need to be more consistent. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, But here's what Mario Anderson has done, though, in the last two games. In the last two games, Anderson has rushed the ball 36 times, okay? 36 times. He's had 44 carries on the year. Didn't get a carry week one against North Carolina. Got six against Furman, two against Georgia, 26 against Mississippi State, and then 10 this past weekend against Tennessee. And I think a lot of us understand one of the reasons why USC didn't run him as much. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, well, two reasons. One, South Carolina started to play from behind and they needed to throw the football. But number two, just because of the front and the disruption that Tennessee was giving USC because of, again, like we talked about from a sack standpoint, Tennessee leads the country in sacks. But I'm sure, too, if we look at tackles for a loss, Tackles for a loss. I'm sure Tennessee's up there. Yeah, Tennessee ranks number third in the country for tackles for a loss. In fact, they're just point one off, point one off from being in first based on tackles per game, tackles for a loss per game. So I bring that up because of the disruption that the Vols were giving USC in that game. It forced South Carolina to become more one-dimensional obviously the combination of the fact that you were playing from behind. So Mario, of course, didn't have an opportunity to really get going last game. Still had a career best, and I say career best, I'm talking from a D1 standpoint, not including his stats at Newberry, but he had a career best, 101 yards on 10 carries, and obviously 75 of those yards came on that one carry in the third quarter, but 88 yards the week before. So, so far in the year through four games, because again, Mario didn't play or didn't at least get a carry week one against North Carolina, 44 carries, 230 yards, averaging 5.2 yards per carry. He has two touchdowns and he was also getting involved in the passing game last week, two catches, 
It's also a career high as a Gamecock. Two catches for eight yards. He has three catches on the year for 18 yards. And he's been doing a nice job, too, with his pass blocking. So I bring those things up because I think we'll continue to see to carry on Joyner featured in the backfield. I think we'll see more Mario Anderson, though. I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out, especially since he's been able to prove that he's not just someone that can run the football. He's also someone that you can put out there and he can make a difference in pass protection, which was one of the reasons why, as we talked about many times in this program and other shows as well, why DK was still getting featured back there. And it's not to say that DK can't play the position. I know that some people look at it as like, well, he doesn't have the vision. You know, he's not a running back. He was a quarterback. Then they moved him to wide receiver. Then they moved him back. I, I understand that. But when you look at what South Carolina has in terms of what's in their toolbox, and at this point, unless something drastic changes, um, I don't expect South Carolina to play DJ Braswell. I don't. Um, I expect him, if he does play, for them to make sure that he's still able to maintain his year of eligibility. Because when you look at the big picture of it all, we've talked about this with other players. We've talked about this with sellers. We've talked about this with some of the wide receivers. At some point, you have to ask yourself, what's in the best interest of not just the student athlete, but the best um, interest of the program? And when you look at a guy like Braswell and you look at what South Carolina has in their running back room next year coming back and what could be there in the next couple of years, Having some type of experience is nice, but you also would like to be able to have that player a little bit longer if you feel like you can get more out of them, say, on the back end of that year, right? If you're looking at it from a four-year standpoint, can you get more out of them in that fourth year in comparison to that first year, which would be their redshirt year? So I think that's where South Carolina is at with that. Um does that mean we we won't see him at all for the rest of the year? I, I think we'll see him. Again, because of the rules with the NCAA allowing you to be able to play in at least four games in the regular season. We'll see if they change the rule like they did last year for the bowl game to be able to play in the fifth game. But I think that's where things are at with that. But I think we'll see Mario continue to get more touches. And if South Carolina is able to be in a situation – where they're not falling behind early and they don't have to just go pass, 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 he'll continue to be a factor. And you certainly need him to be. I mean, God forbid South Carolina falls behind. I'm making this up 7 nothing, 10 nothing, 13 nothing, 14 nothing, whatever the case may be, a two-score game. You can't get away from the run game. You, you can't get away from the run game early. And we've talked about it for multiple reasons, but one being – is it allows the defense to just tee off on your quarterback because they know it's going to be pass, pass, pass. Defensive linemen can just put their hands in the dirt and they can just pass rush on you. It's like a pitcher that just throws a fastball. If you can't throw a breaking ball or some type of off-speed pitch, it's going to make the batter's life a hell of a lot easier. In this case, the defensive linemen, it makes their lives that much easier because they know you're just going to be dropping back and passing. You have to be able to change it up. That's why even when USC was struggling to get the run game going early on in the year, we've still seen it. They've used a lot of short passes because they're trying to slow down that pass rush, even when the run game wasn't there, when it wasn't clicking on the, on all cylinders. So what USC is able to do from a run game standpoint, that can 
make an impact with that, but it can also force Florida to hopefully bring down an extra defender in the box. Like we saw against Mississippi State, the Bulldogs brought down an extra defender. Sometimes that was the safety. Sometimes that was the linebacker because they started to respect USC's rushing attack. A lot of teams this season, and rightfully so, based on what we've seen from a product standpoint, they haven't respected USC's rushing attack. But Mississippi State started to, and they had to, because of what Mario was doing, and just more from a bigger picture, what South Carolina's offense was doing in that game. Uh, Mario had 88 yards rushing against Mississippi State. I know Rattler, some of it gets calculated out because of sacks, and some of it was not design run play. Some of it was scrambling. But he had 43, and then to carry on Joyner had 24 on 10 carries. So I bring that up because when you're able to do that, makes the passing lanes open up a little bit more because now you have an extra defender down the box. And as we saw with Rattler, especially with Xavier Leggett, it opens things up. And I think, too, with what Dal Loggins mentioned yesterday, you don't have Juice Wells right now. Teams are going to continue to do what they can, especially after that Mississippi State game. And I felt like Tennessee did a pretty good job with it, with trying to take Xavier out of the game when they played him two weeks ago. Teams are going to start to do what they can to be able to eliminate 17, whether that be double teaming him or trying to bracket him in some way where you have a high safety over the top to force Rattler to go elsewhere with the ball. That's why having a guy like, you know, Marion Brown back in the lineup this week and hopefully as healthy as he's been in quite some time will be able to make a difference, especially if you are able to get those passing lanes that you're looking for. Because at some point, you can only play 11 guys on defense. So if you want to double team Xavier Leggett, but you also have to bring someone down the box because you're respecting USC's rushing attack. If a guy like Mario Anderson's able to get going, even if a guy like to carry on Joyner's having success in the rushing attack, at some point, as a defender, as a defensive coordinator, you're looking you're like, all right, we only have 11 guys. We have two over here. We have one down here. That's going to create a lot of one-on-one matchups especially in the backside of wherever X is. So if that is a guy like Marion Brown, if that is a guy like Luke Doty, whoever it may be, when you're, when you're uh, one-on-ones, and certainly Doty in terms of the skill set that AB has, or even a guy like Nicholas Harbor, or even a guy like Trey Knox, obviously he brings a little bit, something different to the table, but I feel like Luke's done a good job with his landmark routes and being able to identify the weak spots in the defense. He's more of a possession receiver. He knows to identify where those soft spots are. And as Spencer has talked about before, they have a rapport with each other where because Luke plays quarterback, he understands what Spencer's looking at saying, I want you out here. Let me ask you something. You said it's not Luke Doty. Let me let me ask you something. What is it about Luke that you don't like at wide receiver? If you can give me like a like a legitimate answer based on the body of work with what we've seen, I'll listen other than, oh, he's not good. It's been pretty good. No one's saying that he's, you know, going to the NFL draft playing wide receiver. 
but he's been pretty good with what South Carolina has needed. That's just the reality of where USC has been at with certain positions. Luke's done a pretty good job at wide receiver. I think you're naive if you don't think that he's been doing a good job there. I think he's done a pretty decent job, all things considered. But again, whoever it is on the backside of Xavier Leggett, they need to be able to win their one-on-one matchups. They have to win their one-on-one matchups. And if they can do that, I think USC is going to be able to have a lot of success, especially if they're able to get the run game going. If they're able to get the run game going. Because again, at some point, as a defensive coordinator, you're going to have to look at matchups and you're only going to be able to do so much. And maybe because you have to commit to stopping the run because Anderson's getting going or whatever the case may be with the rushing attack, that's going to create a one-on-one matchup with Xavier. And even though coaches won't necessarily say, hey, you know, just go back there and huck it up, there's going to be situations where, and we've talked about it before, 50-50 balls, you have to go up there and you got to win, you got to win those 50-50 battles for the jump ball. Xavier, it's more like I'd say 70-30%. When you throw it up to Xavier, especially when you have a quarterback like Rattler and it's a one-on-one, I'd say it's more like 70-30. So if you have X and some of these one-on-one opportunities this weekend, because I just feel like as the season continues to go on, you're going to see more bracketing of 17. And, te- and teams are going to really do whatever they can to be able to eliminate Xavier just because, again, what he's been doing to defenses across the country. I mean, this is why he's one of the top wide receivers in the country, and it's really incredible considering all the things that we have talked about with what USC has been dealing with from an offensive standpoint, right? They don't have a consistent rushing attack, or they haven't had it for the majority of the season. Pass blocking has been a roller coaster. And yet you still have been able to produce a wide receiver who, and I'm trying to pull up to give you guys the exact yardage here, because I know he was in the top, 10, Xavier right now ranks eighth in the country. And some of those numbers go up and down because like a guy like uh, Chris Mitchell the other night for FIU, he plays in his seventh game. There's guys that have played eight games on here. Um, But Xavier with five games played, I mean, he's one of the top wide receivers in terms of yards per game. So, Certainly what South Carolina needs to do is continue to find ways to get him the ball, but at the same time, too, you'd be naive to believe that teams aren't going to do what they can to be able to eliminate him. Saint says, I don't dislike Luke, but I don't think he's a natural receiver, doesn't run good routes, he's okay, and I'm not naive. I'm saying he's not the answer at wide receiver, that's all. Don't attack fans so much. Don't attack fans so much. Oh, bless your heart. See, this is what I love. We have a conversation about something. And I say that you're naive because some of the things that you're you're mentioning, no one's saying that you have to be the natural receiver. What, what Luke's been doing, he's been able to give you just enough to be able to get by. That's all it's been. That's all it's been. Don't get all in your feelings, buddy. You'll be okay. Um, but I do I do think, though, it's not just going to be Luke. You have to look at the other receivers, right? Omega Blake. 
I'd like to see more Eddie Lewis. I have been disappointed that we haven't seen Eddie as much. Uh, Tyson Russell, I really like what, what we've seen with him through the first couple games, and I feel like that's a guy that's going to continue to come on. The thing with Eddie that surprises me, he only has nine catches this year, and six of those have come against Furman. So I bring that up because it's tough because, it's okay, it's the Furman game, right? But that Furman game, he had 89 yards. He did some really good things. Mississippi State, two catches, eight yards. You know, I want to I want to see more from Eddie because I feel like with his speed, he can really stretch the defenses out. And I think what we've seen with South Carolina, and I know people get frustrated with it. And I'm not talking about the situational downs and some of the situational downs that I haven't been crazy about in terms of South Carolina. It could be I don't know, uh, third and eleven, even third and seven, third and six, whatever the case may be, and they're not going to the sticks. They're going underneath. So I bring that up because a lot of the crossing routes that we've seen from South Carolina's offense, and I'm not talking about, again, those third down, those situational downs um, with being able to get to the sticks. They've done a lot more across the middle in comparison to what we saw with Marcus Satterfield in those two years. What I've liked about it is they're using their strengths, right? They're using their strengths. I mean, how many times did we say it last year, especially? Man, why don't they attack the middle of the field? Why don't they do some more slants? Why don't they do some more crossing routes? They're using their speed. And the one play that really stands out to me more than any play is that Xavier Leggett drag against Mississippi State where I think he clocked like what? 22.3 miles per hour. And then he was gone. So being able to use speed that way, we're starting to see more of it. I'd like them to continue to to find ways to stretch the field too, because that's going to open up, obviously, the crossing routes. That will also open up the the running lanes, because again, going back to what we were talking about before, at some point as a defensive coordinator, you got to pick your poison. Am I going to put an extra guy in the box to stop the run, or am I going to put an extra guy back to slow down the passing attack. If you're able to continue to have a guy out there that can stretch the field, and I keep thinking of a guy like Eddie Lewis or A.B., could be Harbor, you're going to be able to see more underneath as well. Jamie says, Doty was a receiver in high school. He was an elite high school receiver. He's going to be a good wide receiver going forward. Sellers a B, QB1 next year anyway. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the quarterback room, though, right now. And I don't want to get too far ahead of neck for next year, but, you know, obviously Sellers is going to be back. Luke Doty still has another year of eligibility. I think he actually has two, believe it or not, because of the redshirt year, or the medical redshirt year. Um, Dante Arena will be getting in here in the spring, and then Tanner Bailey's there as well. It comes down to how comfortable they feel with that room. So let's say Sellers does become the guy, right? Regardless if Doty gets a crack at it or whatever the case may be. Let's say Sellers becomes the guy. Do you do the same song and dance that you're doing this year? And you put Doty at wide receiver and 
you're here also having him as your backup. At some point, I feel like you've got to figure out what position he's ultimately going to play. And the scary thing, again, not one again down the rabbit hole too much about next year, but the difference is compared to this year, you don't have the luxury of having Rattler there, right? God forbid, let's say Sellers is your starting quarterback. He goes down. Doty's playing wide receiver. Do you feel comfortable with Dante Reno, who hasn't even stepped foot yet on campus? Do you feel comfortable enough with a guy like Tanner Bailey? God forbid. So these are the scenarios that you got to play out, but that's the reason why you have to feel comfortable about your backup quarterback situation. But again, we'll worry about that a little bit more in the offseason. Jay Diz says, Eddie only played one play versus Tennessee. He's made a catch on his one play. If he made a catch against Tennessee, they're not showing it for me. I'm trying to shoot two weeks ago. feels like two months ago. Um, At least it's not registering that he had a catch against Tennessee. But point being, and whether it be whether that be the case or not, Jay Diz, I, I want them to continue to get him the ball. They really haven't been able to get him the ball as much as I would have liked to have seen him um, used. And I, we could say this about multiple players, but specifically Eddie's speed and the fact that he has experience of playing college football under his belt before obviously coming to South Carolina. We'd love to be able to see him use just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Craig says, my key all year is don't be in second and nine, get positive yards on first down. The amazing thing about USC, I mean, you know, we can look at any stat and tell a story and, paint a narrative any way we want. I mean, that's the thing with stats, but some stats you look at and they kind of tell the whole story for you. Like you can't even like deny it. So we've talked about sacks, but just straight up tackles for a loss. South Carolina has allowed the third most in the country. Third most. When I look at a stat like that and I read what you just said, Craig, that has played a big factor as to why South Carolina has not been able to, number one, been able to really get the running game going more than anything, right? Or they're not running the football as many times as people would probably like them to run is because they're not in manageable second down situations, sometimes even third, right? Could be second and nine, or it could be third and seven. I mean, I could go back and Colin Taylor, I know he'll be leaving Gamecock Central after this weekend go through his uh, Excel sheets, all the situational plays that he has. He has it second down, third down, third and short, third and long. There's been many times this year, though, that South Carolina has been playing behind the sticks. Or they're in a situation where it's just not a manageable second down or even third down. So a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're allowing so many tackles for a loss. Some of that has to do with um, short passes, whether it be screens, whether it be, you know, bubbles and not going anywhere. Some of that has to do with obviously the fact that they're allowing as many sacks of these sacks of it as they've uh, allowed this year. And some of that obviously has to do too, with the fact that when they're not able to get that constant push up front from their, 
from their offensive line, their rushing attack hasn't been able to go anywhere. So, Craig, I think you're spot on when you talk about making sure that you're in more manageable situations on second and third down, specifically second down, though. God loves comics. Good to have you on. Rattler will torch Florida with a little protection. Yeah, you give him that protection, I think he's really going to be able to slice and dice the Gators this weekend, especially having an extra week two to prepare. Craig again says, I just think we will need Braswell later in the year. The way Mario runs, he will probably get dinged up at some point. Hopefully that won't be the case, Craig. But certainly when you look at his running style, when you look at his running style, um, you're going to get banged up at some point. And hopefully because of the way that he's built, that won't be the case. But when you talk about the depth of that running back room, at least from the experience at this point of the year and based on last year, it's Mario, it's DK, and it's Juju. And even though we haven't seen as much of Juju in the backfield this year in terms of number of carries in comparison to maybe in years past, I still wouldn't rule Juju out. Now, how they use Juju to not only spell a guy like Mario or spell a guy like DK, I think how they use him, though, to be able to give them a, a little bit of a breather, you can't obviously run him the same way that Mario does, but at the same time, too, just to use a comparison, we don't want to just throw him out there and it's like putting DK back in the day. It was like, all right, he's in a wildcat situation. Gee, I wonder what he's going to do. And he went frigging two straight years without throwing the football anytime he was in the wildcat package. You can't just put Juju out there and then run off tackle or have him in the passing game and you don't run between the tackles. You know, obviously he's not built the same way in terms of his body type, but you recruited him to play running back here. And he's proven in the past too that he does have a little wiggle and he can find ways to make the most out of holes up front in between the tackles. Now, he's not going to be someone that could probably run in between the tackles as many times as a guy like Mario or even DK, but that doesn't mean that you can't run him in between there a little bit just to be able to give guys like DK and Mario a breather at times. Because, again, I don't disagree with you, Greg, that um, you certainly enjoy Mario running the football the way that he does, and obviously he's a physical running back. A lot of comparisons to Mike Davis, but you don't want him to get to a point where you're, you're overworking him and he gets beat up because it's going to be a long seven-week stretch. I mean, that's the thing about having the bye week as early as you had it. I mean, it, I felt like it could not have come at a better time for USC, especially when you think about, okay, yeah, it's been five weeks into the season, but on top of that, you have a whole month of preseason camp. Fall camp. These guys have been going at it nonstop. So to be able to have that week off, to be able to regroup a little bit, certainly, especially after coming off of the loss that they had in Knoxville, it couldn't have come at a better time. But that also creates now a very, very, very long second half of your schedule, which won't be easy. Jay Diz says, I don't think Doty has made a catch in the second half of any game. All year outside of Furman with Doty and DK on the field with the team speed is too slow. We need threats 
other than XL. Xavier Leggett. Yeah, again, I think if Eddie's able to get going, AB, I really have enjoyed seeing what Russell has done at wide receiver. And the question now becomes, how much will we see of him moving forward? Right? We keep we keep hearing from Beamer saying that okay, hey, we're gonna play these guys a little bit more. But I I just don't know. I don't know how much we're gonna see of Russell um moving forward. And the reason why I'm computer's starting to glitch here a little bit, folks. Let's see, where is it? Tyson Russell. So Tyson, he has four catches on the year, had a catch against Tennessee, had a catch against Mississippi State, and then he had two against Furman, of course, one of those catches being a 50-yard catch from Lenora Sellers. So I bring that up because I feel like with the development at certain positions by players, we talked a lot about it at linebacker, Um but on the flip side of it, we've also talked about Mario. Wide receiver is one of those positions that when you look at the next couple of years in terms of what's in that wide receiver room, in terms of getting experience based on where you're at with the number of games when you're talking about redshirting or not redshirting, a guy like Tyson Russell, I think you keep pushing through it. I think you keep pushing through it, and you want him to play as many snaps as he can right now. Because you're going to be losing Xavier Leggett. There is the possibility of Juice Wells returning next year. And that's not even just talking about a medical red shirt. If he were to come back and play more than the four games, that would obviously get him over that hump, which would not allow him to red shirt. He still has an extra year of eligibility because he went to prep school in 2019. 2020, I believe he red shirt at James Madison, 2021. Played there 2022 USC, and then obviously he's here, despite the fact that he's been battling an injury. So I wouldn't rule that out. Wouldn't rule that out. Fullback uh, Jason says, even though Spencer is having a great season, I'd still like to see Lenore sometimes. When a team is struggling in a game, a change can be a spark. I'm not going to rule out the possibility that we see Lenore's a little bit more, but at this point, just based on the number of games he's played, again, we've talked about this with some other players, but I think you got to make a decision as to what's in the best interest of your program. And to me, when you look at the future, I think it just makes more sense, especially with the way that Rattler's been playing, to redshirt Lenoris. So I say that because, okay, he's played in one game so far. That was the Furman game. He can appear in three more games and still be able to maintain a year of eligibility. I think having him go out there for, you know, I'm making this up, some of these short-yarded situations, I'm not saying that's exactly what you're talking about, Fulbright, Jason, but um, those are the plays I think a lot of people naturally first think of when they're talking about Lenore's, at least right now when they're talking about packages. Is it in the best interest of the program to just have him go out there and, I don't know. There could be, let's say, four or five plays, short yarded situations to put him out there in just for those four or five plays. 
I don't think it is. And especially again, you're taking if you take Rattler off the field to put him in, you're taking one of the best quarterbacks in the country off the field. So I think long term wise, it will make more sense to not have Lenoris out there in those situations, despite the fact that again, I'm sure so many people are eager to see him go out there. I think it just makes more sense based on what you got and um, again, just the bigger picture of it all. God, love, God loves comics as I think they absolutely want a redshirt sellers. Yeah. And again, that doesn't mean that we won't see sellers used in some type of package at some point. Because again, with the redshirt rule, you can play in at least four games while still being able to maintain a year of eligibility. But that means he can only play in three more games and wouldn't be able to play in any more than that. Um, let's see what else we got here. Zachary, good to have Zachary on. Trying to get back to some of these questions. I think this was from a little while ago. So, Zachary, if you're still with us, appreciate it. If not, appreciate the question. Zachary says, looking forward to seeing some progression this weekend from the offense. I feel like Harbor and Lewis are guys with way more potential slash upside at wide receiver than Doty. No sense in spinning wheels with Doty. Again, I, I don't hate the idea of using Doty. I, don't, I think some people, when they hear me say, okay, using Doty at wide receiver, that doesn't mean you have to use him the same way, obviously, uh, in comparison to some of the names you're mentioning. What I like about Doty is he recognizes things the same way that Rattler does, and we've heard Rattler talk about it. That's why they do have that type of chemistry. chemistry. Having said that, having said that, as, as uh, who was it? Was it Jay, uh, Jay Diz? Jay Diz mentioned, really haven't seen Doty as effective in the second half in some of these games, I don't mind South Carolina continuing to find ways to get him on the field at wide receiver. If he's continuing to make an impact like he has now, I don't want them to force putting him out there. I don't want them to force getting him the football, but if he's able to do some of the things that South Carolina needs, and sometimes, I mean, even going back to the Georgia game and, and I know they didn't really use him as much in the second half, or they didn't give him the ball much in the second half. USC really struggled to create separation that game. Tennessee game, struggled to create separation. So I bring that up because I'm not saying that Doty is a more talented wide receiver than player XYZ. But what I'm getting at is there's certain things that he does just because he has a certain IQ because of his quarterbacking background and obviously still playing the position that he's able to recognize certain things and get to what we call landmark routes that could help the offense just continue to find ways to move the football. He's not the guy that's going to be torching you over the top. I know he had a touchdown that was deep early on in the year. But when I talk about Doty playing wide receiver, again, I'm thinking more of a possession wide receiver. I'm thinking someone that you can put out there that you just can trust. And he can do the little things that can hopefully be able to help your football team move the football down the field. Now, having said that, does that solve the issues at wide receiver? Certainly not. And that's why, as you mentioned, Zachary, and I agree with you, I want to see more Harbor. I want to see more Eddie Lewis. I want to see a guy more like uh, Russell. And we'll also see A.B. out there, hopefully as healthy as he's been in quite some time. David said, Billy B. and the Gamecock fans can be a weapon. Florida will be four offsides due to the crowd noise. There's David's pick this weekend. Trying to think with the Mississippi State game, how many full starts there were 
between that offsides um, or full start slash delay games. There were a couple probably around that ballpark, David. And again, if USC is able to score early like they did last year, obviously if anyone was in that building against Texas A&M on that 100-yard kickoff return by Xavier get you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That place went absolutely bananas. That place went absolutely bananas. And because of that one play in particular, the crowd was really in it for the entirety of the game. Now, certainly USC struggled from an offensive standpoint at times in that game. They gave the Aggies an opportunity late to come back. Fortunately, they were able to recover the onside kick, so Texas A&M didn't have a chance to uh, get the ball back to try to win it. Um, but, again, with what USC needs to do this weekend, I'm thinking more back about that play. Now, i got to go back and think about that play. Um, if they're able to score early like they did last year against A&M and like they did two years ago against Florida, again, it was just a, a field goal, but um, if you're able to do that, you're going to put yourself in a situation to hopefully win. So I say that, and I had to remind myself, they actually did recover the onside kick. How about that? Yeah, they did recover the onside kick. I thought as soon as I was saying that, yeah, Texas A&M recovered the onside kick last year against South Carolina, and they had an opportunity to win it. Fortunately, South Carolina was able to get out there with a win. Yeah, 30-24, to 24, that's right. A&M kicked a field goal, took out the lead to six, and then they had two cracks at it at the end of the game, and South Carolina was able to hold off the win. But point being is you need to find ways to get this crowd into it early, give them a reason to get behind you. Zachary says, I also watched the condensed Florida game from last year. 21 unanswered points in the first quarter. Set us so far back early on the road that it was practically impossible to come back. There were a lot of things that USC really struggled to do in that game. You look at it, and I believe like at halftime, because of the fake punt by Kai Kroger, Kai had more passing yards, I believe, at the half than Spencer Rattler did. He certainly had more passing yards than him for a good portion of the first half. So I bring that up because it's just one of the many things that really killed South Carolina. And what Florida was able to do in terms of being able to take advantage of playing in the swamp last year, and they were able to create some momentum and they just didn't look back, that's what USC needs to do this weekend. It goes without saying when you're talking about the points, but that momentum, being able to create that momentum. Because I truly believe if Florida comes out and they're down 7 nothing, 14 nothing, and you know the crowd's just into it, and you go back to what David mentioned with the penalties, I really think Florida is just going to shut down quickly. This seems like a team who, again, very talented team. They've struggled on the road this year, but they've those two losses have also been against top 25 teams, Kentucky and Utah. However, Florida is a team that if you can get up on them early, I feel like they'll shut down quickly. But you have to take advantage of that. You have to take advantage of any opportunity you have early on in the game. You know, if you're able to have success with a trick play on special teams, as we saw last week with South Carolina, two weeks ago, before the bye week against Tennessee, 
they weren't able to capitalize that into points. You know, I think back to week one against North Carolina, the onside kick to start the second half. South Carolina wasn't able to get points off that drive. And I bring those things up because when you think back to last year, and certainly there were block kicks, block punts that were returned for touchdowns. But even on some of those fakes, they were able to get some points on those drives. That's been one of the difference this year with USC. They're not able to carry that same momentum that special teams sparked them with a year ago, it feels like. And that doesn't take away from the fact that at times their special teams hasn't been playing to the level or the standard that I think a lot of us have expected them to play at now, kind of like when you're grading on a curve. And I've talked with Colin Taylor about this. When we grade South Carolina special teams week in and week out, we are grading them on a curve just because we have these expectations for them to play at such a high level based on what they've been able to do over the last two years. So if they're able to get things going from a special team standpoint, be able to finish those drives, be able to score because that plays a part into being able to get Florida to quit quickly. A Fulbright Jason says maybe some halfback screens to slow down the rush. I think we can see that as well. Uh, Brandon says, really wish Xavier Leggett and Juice were able to play together this year. Would be lethal with how Anderson is running the ball right now. What really stinks is just talking with Xavier and knowing how much him and Juice talked about that in the offseason. I can only imagine how much it's been killing Juice. Having said that, having seen the way X has been playing, I'm sure that there is no one happier in the country for him than Juice. And obviously, his story, Xavier Leggett's, everything that he's gone through since high school, and it's easy to be able to get behind that young man, but to know how much work he's put in, not even just this offseason, but going back to last year, right? We've talked about it before. If it was the SC State-Charlotte game last year, whatever game that was, he had the two drops, led to interceptions, and there were so many people who were ready to put him down. And it would have been real easy for him just to mentally just shut down at that point. He regrouped. He made a big difference on special teams. The play, of course, that we've been talking about at nauseum um, on this program, that 100-yard kickoff return to set the tone against A&M last year. And since then he's really been able to pile more good things on top of each other. And from an offensive standpoint, what he's doing this season is just absolutely bananas. And he's certainly taking advantage of the fact of being the number one wide receiver. Uh, Golovkovic says, not anti-Doty. I really like Doty. He can find the space, but they really need a true number two and third option above Doty. I think A.B., if he's healthy, and targeting the tight ends more. I think the way that you just worded it, God loves comics, that's the way I look at it. And I think maybe some people, when they hear me say, you know, Doty, 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 they're looking at it as like, is Mike trying to say that he's the number two option? Is the number three option? No, 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 no. I think it's nice to be able to have a possession guy out there that you can just trust. Um, when I look at USC's wide receiver core, 
because of obviously the fact that juice isn't out there, it tweaks things in terms of what you would probably do if juice was out there. Right. But it's not even just that. It's the fact that they've been banged up at wide receiver, starting with AB, starting with juice, really, but starting with juice. And then aside from that, AB, but being able to have one of those guys like AB or Eddie Lewis or mention Russell, uh, another guy that I haven't mentioned as much, and I should, Omega Blake. I've really liked what he's been doing this year. But guys need to continue to step up. They need to be able to give their quarterback an opportunity to make plays. And I think coming out of the bye week, we're talking about a guy like A.B., he'll be hopefully as healthy as he's been in quite some time. Trey says, do you think Juice will be back this year? Or do you think Beamer is just not giving us all the information, trying to keep it quiet on what's really going on? What I can tell you is Juice wants to come back out there as quickly as possible. Um, it's killing him um, from a, you know, just the mental side of it all, not being able to be out there with his team. Uh, but on top of it all, he's not stupid. He sees that his draft stock's dropping. I think. If I were advising Juice, I would say, hey, man, get healthy this year. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Um, would it be fun to see Juice and Xavier get out there together, especially with the way that X has been playing at? 1,000%. No question about it. But if I take a step back, if I'm Juice and I take a step back and I'm asking myself, okay, what's in the best interest for me long-term wise? All right, being able to not just take care of myself and my family and trying to live out a dream playing in the NFL. What I'm doing is I'm doing everything that my doctors are telling me to do. Now, I think with what Beamer's doing, when he when he says, hey, you know, juice isn't done yet, it's the God's honest truth. But some of it will have to do with how much pain he can deal with. Not the same exact injury um, that Jackie Bradley had to deal with when it was a risk, but we've talked about this story before in the past, decade plus ago, and I'm paraphrasing, but you know, Ray Tanner, I think he came out at a press conference and he was saying like, hey, Jackie's done. You know, it's the last time he's played as a Gamecock. Well, what happens? Jackie was able to heal up quicker than most people heal when it comes to that injury. And then he made a big difference. The Gamecocks win uh, College World Series. So I bring that up because when it comes to an injury like this, and even though they're going to be as smart as they will be about it in terms of, okay, we're not going to push them. We're gonna, at some point, if Juice wants to come back, he will be cleared. Uh, or I should say, if he does get cleared, it comes down to how much pain you can deal with. Right? So that's why I don't think it's the last that we've seen of Juice this year. I think we will see him at some point again. But I do think when you look at the bigger picture of it all, it makes more sense to take your time with it. Don't rush back. If you're only back for a game or two towards the end, just because you want to make sure that, number one, you're good to go, but you're not going to, number two, hurt yourself moving forward. Um, I think that's probably what's in the best interest. I know some fans would love to see him get out there as quickly as possible. I get it. But I also believe that Juice should come back next season. And it's not just talking from a selfish standpoint of how that could benefit the Gamecocks, but how that could benefit him from a draft standpoint because his stock is obviously taking 
hit right now. You don't have to be Mel Kuyper to know that. You, know, you don't play, unfortunately, your stock's going to take a hit. Fulbright Jason says, even third and long, sellers can break. Containment, extend a play, and throw a rope for 60 yards. I definitely get home in uh, his games allowed. I would definitely, I would definitely get home. I get, I get what you're trying to say. I think what you meant to say is you would get home to watch him play. You know, if you know that he's out there. Um, what else we got here? God loves comics says, I think final three games last season, Beamer and Marshawn Lloyd practicing and likely to play. And he never came back. I think juice wants to play more than Lloyd did. Just feels like he's done. Thing with Marshawn was, and I don't want a bad mouth a player that's not here anymore, but Marshawn really was looking out for Marshawn. And I'll never knock a player for doing that, especially when you look at what it is. I mean, it's a business. I mean, we talk about NIL opportunities, all this other stuff out there. It's a business. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, or but Marshawn definitely went about it a certain way. I think Juice has more desire to return this season because he wants to be out there with his teammates. But at the same time, too, I don't think when you say he's done, um, are you saying done in terms of his Gamecock career or done as far as this season? Because I don't think – I wouldn't rule out yet that Juice won't come back next season. And that's just from some of the conversations I've had with people close to the program. That doesn't mean things aren't going to change one way or the other. Um, obviously, if Juice, is, Juice were to come back, Sooner rather than later, and he's you know making this up, plays in the last four games or whatever, and balls out. Yeah, that can change some things, right? But I wouldn't rule anything out right now. Uh, Fulbright Jason says, JD, Kel picked against us at home, was disappointed. I was like, come on, I know I saw that. Should have had JD on today just so that everyone could have given him crap about that. But, um, I think, look. Until South Carolina can prove that they could be consistent, we talked about the success they've had in the Beamer error coming out of a bye week, but until they can prove to be consistent, regardless, home, away, I think from a national perspective, a lot of people are skeptical about picking the Gamecocks because you just don't know which Gamecock team you're going to get. Now, I said that about Florida, right, how they've really have struggled on the road in their two games. Granted, as I've mentioned, throwing the caveat in there, it was against two teams who are in the top 25. But I bring that up because Florida is similar in the sense that which Florida team is going to show up this weekend. And that's the reason why the Gamecocks are favorite. You know, that Vegas feels a little bit more or higher on USC, and that's where the money's going. So I bring that up because which Florida team are we going to get this weekend? Which South Carolina team are we going to get this weekend? I'll say this, whoever loses this weekend, oh boy. I mean, I obviously don't have a choice. I have to cover the Gamecocks. But the message boards, if South Carolina loses this weekend, they're going to be ugly. On the flip side, if Florida loses this weekend, it's going to be ugly down there. It's going to be ugly. So... This is uh, certainly a game where, you know, both teams are trying to figure out still who the heck they are, what direction they're going to be heading in this season. They both have a lot of um, 
question marks that are still to be answered. But for USC, you're a two and three team. You're two and three team. You have seven games left. Five of those seven games are at home. Four of them to close out the season. After this, you got to go to the two furthest places from your school in the SEC. Got to go to Missouri. Then you got to go to Texas A&M the following week. Doesn't get it much easier for USC. Does not get any easier. So you certainly need to be able to take care of business this weekend if you want to get your your, uh, season turned around. Never mind the fact that you need to be able to win four of these final seven games in order to become bowl eligible too. If you want to watch this show in its entirety again, you can head on over to the Gamecock Central YouTube page. That's where we'll have it posted, posting it up on social media right now. Um, Alyssa Lang, unfortunately, was not able to join us. She was going to be joining us, but last-minute changes came up in preparation for this weekend's game. Since she will be on the sideline reporting for the SEC Network, be back at Williams Bryce Stadium. God loves comics says anytime teams have a big season because of special teams or turnovers, there's a luck factor that can't be replicated year after year. Erlen says it was against my alma mater, SC State. It was really unfortunate. Hated for him. Thank you, Erlen. Talking about Xavier Leggett with those drop passes last year. Shout out to Buddy Pugh. Big Buddy Pew guy. Had a chance to cover Buddy for five years during my time at Watch Fox. What an awesome, awesome person. I know it's his last year here coaching, and, man, he um, he certainly deserves every, every flower that has been thrown his way, and he'll be receiving certainly many, many more as this season comes to an end. And afterwards, with what he's been able to do, for not just the sport of college football, but for the sport in this state, specifically football in South Carolina. Trey says, so Juice has another year? Yes, Trey does. Juice does have another year. God Loves Comics says, Juice is heading to the league after this year. That's what God Loves Comics believes. Like I've said before, I would not rule out the possibility of him coming back again based on the conversations that I've been having with people close to him. Um, everything is on the table right now. The reason why nothing is in stone is well, cause it's friggin' the second week of October. Right. But, um, it's a possibility it's on the table. You know, when I look back to last year at this time, October 12th, put it this way, October 12th of last year, if you would have been told, Hey, how much money or what would you put it from a percent standpoint? What would you say the chances are that Spencer Rattler is going to be back next season at South Carolina? I bring that up because the odds of Juice, just my opinion, the odds of Juice coming back as of today, October 12th, I have that at a higher number than what I would have had for Spencer Rattler at this time last year. Again, anything can happen, things change, but I wouldn't rule anything out quite yet. David says, Loggins, greater than Satterfield, hands down. He's been able to make a lot of things happen based on what they have in the kitchen. You know, that's the comparison I keep making is 
Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to go into the kitchen and make a, you know, a filet mignon or whatever, but if you only have the ingredients to make fruity pebbles, you better hope to God that you can make that the, the best breakfast that you can possibly have. And I think with what Dow has been able to do, despite what some of the numbers indicate, there's certainly been improvements with the offense. The problem is because of the flaws that they have, because the flaws are just so noticeable, right? Talk about the inconsistencies with the blocking up front, the inconsistencies with the rushing attack for the for the entirety of the season. Obviously, there's been improvements over the last couple of weeks since Mario's been able to get going, but those things stand out. Tyler Gay, good to have you, Tyler. Tyler says, since we have Rattler, Dak, and Doty on the field at the same time, I keep wondering why they haven't had plays put in to where they do double passes or get creative with three QBs on the field. Tell you what, especially knowing what we've seen with Beamer, and obviously a lot of it is more so special teams plays, but he's not afraid to get creative with trick plays. Um, I am surprised that we haven't seen at least something to the effect of getting a little creative. Now, having said that, when you look at the games that they've played in, you wonder, was there a possibility for them to be able to do something like that? And that kind of just quickly went out the window because of the way the game was going. So I think that plays a part of it. The inside mind says, me personally, I think next. I think what you're trying to say is our. So I'm going to add the word our in there. Me personally, I think next year will be our year. We have a lot of good commits and much more. What's your opinion? I still think this team is two years away. So next year and then the year after that. So what, 2025? And the reason I say that is because you look at the young players that they were able to bring in this year, okay? Like the Pup Howards, guys like that. Next year's recruiting class, especially with the offensive linemen, very talented, very young. Um, Dylan Store on the other side of that as well. Talk about just the trenches in, in general. Give them a year to be able to get developed. And then after that, right? So you'll have Lenore, you'll have Dante Reno, you'll have a good quarterback room really pushing each other. But I bring that up because next year's schedule does not get any easier for South Carolina. It does not get any easier for USC, I believe. I don't want to get too sidetracked talking about next year, but Next year, you uh, got to go to Bama. You got to go to Clemson. You got to go to Kentucky. You got to go to Oklahoma. You play LSU. You play Ole Miss. Play Texas A&M, Missouri. So never mind that you got to play Old Dominion, a team that has had a lot of success against Power 5 teams. Akron's in there. Wofford's in there. And then in two years, South Carolina's uh, non-con schedule will be Virginia Tech, Coastal Carolina, and, of course, Clemson. Uh, but I still think they're two years away. I still think they're two years away. Trey says, I think Spencer and the Gamecocks go undefeated at home. Well, 
so far, they've been able to go 2-0 at home. 14-2, Shane Beamer is at Williams-Brice Stadium since taking over. Erlen says, if you lose your homecoming game, something is seriously wrong. You're not supposed to lose your homecoming game. No doubt, this is must-win Saturday regardless. Homecoming games, the way that they always schedule them, and obviously it doesn't always work that way, but like Erlen is saying, typically you try to schedule a game that you feel confident that you're going to be able to win, right? Um, I remember from my college days, we played Fordham, Patriot League school, FCS. And because we were a D2 school, they scheduled us to play there. And uh, like Erlen is saying, everyone expected, okay, you play in a D2 team, that should be an easy win. And we pulled off the upset. We upsetted Fordham. Uh, I say Fordham. I'm combining Furman and Fordham. Fordham. We upsetted Fordham. And uh, that was one of those moments I'll always remember because, like you said, you know, no one wants to lose their homecoming game. But you're playing an SEC team, a good SEC team at that. You want to be able to go out with a win. And there's going to be a lot of good good recruits there. Now, one thing I do want to throw out there, because I haven't had a chance to really talk about it as much from a recruiting standpoint, but Wes Mitchell actually just posted it on Gamecock Central. I want to see if I can pull it up real quick. About Jalua Solomon, who decommitted from Auburn earlier this week. Um, Chad Simmons, who works for us at On3. He has been told, at least as of right now, that J. Lewis will be in South Carolina this weekend. I mean, that's pretty big. This kid decommits from Auburn on Tuesday. He's going to be here this week, and that's big. And as I've been told over the last, say, month or so, this was expected. Um, he's continued to have nonstop communication with South Carolina, Torian Gray. I think it was the Friday before the Mississippi State game a couple weeks ago. He actually flew out there to watch Jalewis play in his high school game. So the Gamecocks have been nonstop on him. Daniel Hill, I know he had his top three that came out the other day. Another player for the class of 2024, four-star running back from the state of Mississippi. Obviously, there's been a lot said about his father and family wanting him, or at least especially his father. I should say just keep it to his father. His father wanted him to stay closer to home. From talking to people close to Daniel, I mean, he loves everything about South Carolina. And I think we're getting closer and closer for him making a decision. I think we can see him making a decision next month, um, is from what I've been told, but no exact date yet. I'm told it could be actually around his birthday, on his birthday maybe. So we'll have to wait and see. But certainly, from again, from what I've been told, Despite his father really wanting him to stay close to home, Daniel is still very, very, very interested in South Carolina. So we'll have to wait and see how that thing plays out. Um, Fulbright Jason says, just want to say, do a great job keeping us informed on what's going on in Gamecock country. Thanks to y'all. Thank you. And uh, bringing up Colin Taylor, we'll be bummed that Colin's leaving Gamecock Central. I don't know if he's made his announcement yet about what he'll be doing, but I can tell you he's not going to be going far as he gets out of uh, the media world. 
as far as covering sports, but um, appreciate everything that Colin has done. Won't be the same, obviously, at GC, but very, very happy for him and his wife. Craig says, agree, 2025, there's no excuses. God loves comics, says we probably trade in Georgia for Bama. <laughs> Talking about next year's schedule. Oof. Frederick Cooper says, don't they have LSU, Oklahoma, and Texas? They don't have Texas next year. They don't have Texas next year. They just have Oklahoma. Now, I would expect I would expect the following year in 2025 for Texas to be on the schedule. Um, would have been neat just from a storyline standpoint if Rattler was back another year, which technically he does have an extra year of eligibility, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Um, as the Gamecocks go to Norman next season. No dates yet on those games next year. But we do know they'll be playing them. We do know that South Carolina's non-conference schedule, Old Dominion, that'll be an August 31st game. Akron, September 21st. Wofford, November 23rd, the week before the Clemson game. And then at Clemson to close out the season. Got to play Wofford right before you play Clemson. Uh Wrap up some of these final notes right now, and then we will end things. The Steel Curtain, good to have you on. Thank you for not saying anything about my Patriots yet. It's been a tough, uh, tough season. They have as many wins as the Boston Bruins. Hockey just started up the other night, and the Patriots had a month full. What month head start on them, and they have the same amount of wins just through one game. So thank you for not making fun of my Patriots yet. Steel Curtain says it would be a big disappointment if Hill goes to Bama. It would, no question, especially with the number of hours that South Carolina has put into it, and knowing that it's not if if Hill goes to Alabama, it has nothing to do with NIL. It has nothing to do with NIL. I think that's the frustrating part that there's nothing more that South Carolina could have done. Now, again, that's just speaking in hypothetical terms. If he were to go to Alabama, there's nothing more South Carolina could have done. But here's the good thing, because nothing's happened yet. And in turn, Joe, we've talked about this on Tuesday night shows. The fact that you're in a big boy recruiting battle with Alabama just shows you what South Carolina has been able to do over the last couple of years to change the perception of the program. Now, certainly it comes down to what you do on Saturdays. No question about that. But when you look at what USC has been able to do since Shane Beamer has arrived, they picked a five-star last year in Nicholas Harbor. Obviously he's still making the transition over to wide receiver, having played tight end and defensive end in high school. And he was banged up towards the end of preseason camp, which put him behind the eight ball a little bit as he continues to make his adjustment over the to the position. But Harbor, he's coming along. He'll be fine. Dylan Stewart for next season, for the class of 2024. You won a big boy recruiting battle for Harbor against Oregon. Phil Knight could have friggin' wrote down whatever number he wanted on a blank check and said, you name it. And you were able to win that recruiting battle. Dylan Stewart, that was up against Ohio State. So 
I say that because when you look at what USC has been able to do, and I would throw in uh, Josiah Thompson too for the class of 2024, talking about offensive linemen, because USC has done a great job of being able to land some pretty talented guys for not just this year's recruiting class, but obviously last year as well with Harbor. But I, I say that because this is part of it. It's part of it getting into these big boy recruiting battles. And I think for the Gamecocks more than anything, if you're able to pull this off, if you're able to pull this off, especially when someone's father is saying, you know, hey, I want you to stay close to home, which it happens. It's part of it, right? I think it sends the message, especially if you're able to get the wins, it sends the message that something special is being built here. Now, again, this season, the bridge year, the year three, which is always a very challenging season for the majority of coaches across college football. It's about being consistent in making sure the program doesn't take major steps back. You know, you look back to the Will Muschamp era, and I've said this before heading into the season, even if South Carolina weren't too ha- weren't weren't able to produce the consistency level. And I say the consistency level, I'm looking at about seven wins, even six, just trying to get to a bowl game. If they weren't able to replicate that, I still think they're much further ahead in comparison to where Muschamp's tenure was at that point. And it's again, it's really easy to look at the wins and losses. But the reason I say that is because when you look at from a recruiting standpoint, where USC is based on last year's recruiting class, based on where they are right now. They're making progress. And you throw a guy, like I said, Daniel Hill in there, and if they're able to pick up some of these other guys, Jalua Solomon, if he's able to uh, get flipped and USC picks him up, the core, the foundation, with what they've been able to already build with the guys that they brought in from this last recruiting cycle, they're starting to address those areas that are issues, that are problematic right I mean you look at the last couple of years and what have people been talking about the last couple of years man South Carolina needs to really start focusing on recruiting on the offensive line and defensive line it shouldn't surprise people that USC has struggled on the offensive line this year especially when you have two starters go down with injuries one in week one and then one going back to the spring they try to adjust they, they try to address it the best they could in terms of putting a patch on it for the short term being able to bring in a guy like Nick Gargiulo, who's actually done a pretty freaking good job. It's not going to really stand out because as an offensive line unit, you're looking at it from across the board, and it's not necessarily easy to be like, all right, the old lines, everything's good with them, you know? No, 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 that's not, not how it works that way. When one player's standing out, you're looking at everything. So um, I think being able to bring in some of those talented guys they have, again, there's a possibility that Cam Pringle could get bumped up to be a five-star, could have three five-stars in this class, two on the offensive line and one on the defensive end, that defensive end on the other side of it. Not bad. Not bad. And the running back situation is looking pretty decent too as far as talent for the future, right? You got Braswell in there right now, four-star freshman. You have Daniel Hill potentially coming to South Carolina, four-star. Matthew Fuller. He got the bump up to being a four-star earlier in the year by on three. They're addressing the areas that they need to. And that doesn't mean that 
you say screw it with the other positions, but they have really focused on going after their weaknesses. Steel Curtain says he wasn't going to bring it up. Wasn't going to bring up the pat the, the fact the Pats stink. Graham says Gamecocks being Tennessee 63-38 last year was insane. It was. It's in the past now, right? And now you're trying to be able to make those memories this weekend against Florida. You need something like that. You need a staple win this weekend. God Love Comics says we could face Dabo, Napier, and Venables in the same season. Dabo and his former assistants, the new Orange Crush. Jesse says, and they're having fun. Culture is totally different under Beamer than Muschamp. And obviously, it goes without saying, but winning makes everything that much more fun-er. And certainly for the Gamecocks, they want to be able to get back in the win column starting this week and get back to 500. Because as we mentioned, that schedule only gets tougher. But certainly for USC, if they're able to go out there against a, a good Florida team, Take advantage against a Florida team that has struggled on the road, but go up against a good Florida team, find a way to get the win. You're able to build confidence up. You head to a place in Missouri where you've struggled at the last couple of years. I mean, it, it's not going to be easy by any means, but being able to get a win this weekend could certainly change just the narrative, at least for a week, and the momentum for this program as they get ready for what will be a very daunting seven-game stretch to end the year. Again, if you've missed any of our program, head on over to the Gamecock Central YouTube page and watch this show in its entirety. Or if you're a podcast listener, head on over to wherever you listen to your podcasts on the Gamecock Central platform, Gamecock Central Network platform, and you can listen to this show as well. State fears in town, so who knows? I mean, even though if you're going down the street, it might only take 10 minutes, 15 minutes on a uh, regular Tuesday afternoon. It might take you an hour to get to the stadium. Who knows? You know, all those people wanted to go get corn dogs next to the stadium with the fair in town. But one thing that we do know is that tax season, we still have a couple more months, but it's never a bad thing to be prepared, especially when you're talking about overcoming taxiety. Give our friends over at Liberty Tax a call today. They can help you get organized so that when tax season does roll around, you're going to be more prepared, maybe more prepared than ever before. That number to call is 803-462-5576. And today's program is also brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond at The Movement Mortgage. Clint has been a longtime supporter of Gamecock Central, and he is the main sponsor for GC Live. He's been doing this for many, many years. And if you guys know anything about Clint, you know that he's been able to help out so many people, especially our very own, right? I mean, Wes Mitchell, when he had to buy a new home, who did he call? He called Clint. Former Gamecock quarterback Perry Orthney in a new home, who did he call? Called Clint. Want to find a, the best rate? You want to have any questions answered when it comes to being able to purchase a home, especially right now where things are just absolutely insane. Hopefully those rates will start to drop down a little bit sooner rather than later. Give Clint a call and he can help you out. 803-771-6933. Want to wrap up the show, seeing some comments here. What we got here? Craig says 99 to 3 Gamecocks. All right. 99 to 3. I'm going to say that the under will hit. If that is your over, 102, I'm going to say the under hits, Craig. But um, we'll see. Cox by 99, not even by 90. Actually, that'd be 96. I wasn't great at math. Frederick says, great show. 
appreciate it. Steel Curtain says, we must beat Clemson. Well, that can certainly be able to turn things around regardless of what a season is and what the record is. Appreciate you, Steel Curtain. God Loves Comics says, couldn't find any stats on South Carolina's record on state fear days. I will go back and look that up. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to admit, I'm not going to be proud of looking up that stat, but this is the people's show. And if that's what you guys want, the second person that asked that, I will go back and look. I will uh, at least have it going back to the Muschamp era, and then we'll go back and see during the Spurrier era. We'll have at least in the last, I don't know, 15, 10 plus years, something like that. So we'll do that. Again, guys, head on back to the Gamecock Central YouTube page if you want to watch any of this show. If you missed it, unfortunately, Lisa Lang was not able to join us today, but that's all right. You can catch Saturday. She'll be on sideline duty on the SEC Network. Excited to be able to watch football at williams Bryce again this weekend. If you're heading to the game, enjoy it. But remember, state fear traffic, plan accordingly. Have yourself a good Thursday afternoon and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Gamecock football, turning to Columbia on Saturday. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.